The Sunday Review with Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Sunday Review. We'll be chatting to Mims Davies about a job fair she's organising, talking to Will Geddes about how to improve our home security as winter approaches, and Dave and Mary McLaughlin from the Dormansland Baptist Church will be talking about their new community hub. Plus, Norman Wong finds out about Will Aid Month. Paul Tolmy will be talking to Colin Hill about Haywards Heath-based organisation Computers for Kids. And Samantha Day will be chatting to Adele tribute act Katie Markham. Our local MP, Mims Davies, is hosting a Jobs, Careers and Opportunities Fair on Friday the 4th of November at Haywards Heath College. There'll be over 60 employers in attendance to help those looking for a new job or a change of career. I'm delighted to be joined by Mims to tell us more. Mims, welcome to the show. Why did you decide to organise this Jobs Fair? Oh, it's such a pleasure to join you and thank you for highlighting this. Well, my job and careers fair is for anyone and everyone. And frankly, I would have done one before COVID. So it's the first one we've managed to pull together. And it's really to help anybody who's looking for that next career stage or first career stage or some extra hours, some seasonal work, but maybe you need a little bit of help just boosting up your CV, your interview skills and feeling confident about what's out there. So we've got together with Haywards Heath College. So if you're coming to it, it's really easy. There's free parking and it's near the train station and the bus interchange there in Haywards Heath. And we've got over 60 employers there with all different jobs in different sectors to find out about, including apprenticeships and volunteering roles. You mentioned that you're going to have a number of organisations in attendance. Who can people expect to see? We've got a fantastic range of people and I can't thank both the sponsors who are helping put it together and the employers who are joining me. So we've got the NHS there. We've got people in the STEM sector. We've got uh, retail. We've got people like Waitrose. We've got all different types of employers there. And we are actually teamed up with UK Youth and Clubs for Young People, um, working with the Bentswood Community Hub and the Department of Work and Pensions. Uh, so the Dobbed Centre team will be there along with all of those different type of employers. Uh, so you're going to get wellbeing support and all that sectoral support. We've got Lidl there, which I mean, the range of employers from very bespoke roles, um, tool making and things like that, to um, things that you can expect just to get some extra hours doing seasonal work with. And also finding out about those local um apprenticeship opportunities because many people want to get started in uh, new roles and don't forget you can do that any age or stage and um, so there'll be employers with those first opportunities around apprenticeships to, to find out about as well. How difficult has it been trying to get all these people in one place at the same time? Well, I couldn't do it, if I'm completely honest, without a wonderful venue, because it's been amazing how much traction the Jobs Fair has got. And the fact that the Haywards Heath College has got that free parking and is so easy to find has been really key. And uh, finding the right date, actually, and just making sure that we can get this on safely around the COVID impact has been amazing. So uh, to sort of get through and so 
really the key bit was the venue. So we couldn't have started without the help of Hayworth Heath College. But just to add to the other employers, if you're looking for, to go into the NHS and the PRH, McDonald's, uh, the fire service, the um, armed forces, or perhaps go into um, working at Gatwick, there's all sorts of opportunities there, uh, including Hayworth Heath Football Club, First Central Insurance, Muller and Logistics UK and Luxury Vacation. So there's literally something for anyone, uh, everyone and anyone who's worried about, um, you know, what's next for them career-wise or making a little bit of extra money or, you know, moving into something more lucrative. It's a great time uh, to do this, which is what was driving this as well. Obviously, it sounds as though there's going to be lots of people to talk to if you're looking for a new job or a change of career. Are there going to be any other services on offer at the fair? Yeah, there very much are. A well-being support for you. Um, if you're feeling a bit stressed or you need a bit of support, um, a bit like me, you might need to think about more exercise and a bit of a weight loss. There's all sorts of well-being there for you. Uh, also, information around universal credit and benefits and also helping you boost and look at your CV or see about training and skills opportunities that are on your doorsteps. And as I mentioned, apprenticeships as well, because that can be quite a minefield to find your way through and finally if volunteering is something you'd like to do perhaps you're busy with the hours that you've got at work but you're looking to do something else and give back or get some experience in something and dip your toe into the water there's an opportunity to find out about that as well now this is going to be a free event where can people go to get further information yeah, it's free. It's on the 4th of November between 10 and 2 down at Hayward Heath College with free parking. And the best way to get booked in and find out more is go onto my website, which is mimsdavis.org.uk. And you can get free tickets and just let us know you're coming and what you're interested in via the Eventbrite link that's on there. So all the information is on my Facebook page or you can find it on my webpage, mimsdavis.org.uk. And again, and a massive thank you to our sponsors uh, because we just couldn't do it without people like PSP Homes, Coca-Cola, Sussex Clubs for Young People and the Jonathan Lee Network and others. You'll see big banners around Haber's Heath Town if you come into the town or indeed if you look online. And again, the tea and coffee and looking after people is only possible because we've got amazing sponsors helping us as well. Fantastic. Mims, thanks so much for joining us today and good luck with the jobs fair. And thank you so much for covering it. And I hope that everyone can get down on the, the 4th of November between 10 and 2 at Haywards Heath College. Thanks so much. And as a reminder, if you'd like more information on the event, visit mimsdavies.org.uk. That's mimsdavies.org.uk. You'll also find links to book your free tickets via Eventbrite. We'll also post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. We all want to rest easy knowing our home is secure, keeping our family and belongings safe and sound. But as the nights draw in and winter approaches, our homes are left standing empty in the dark, providing opportunistic criminals who see a dark house as a chance to commit a burglary. With over 25 years' experience in the specialist security sector, Will Geddes is here to tell us about the latest research from EE, which highlights some of the cunning tactics we're using to deter burglars, and explains some easy precautions we can take to keep our homes safe this winter. Will, thanks for joining me. What did the research suggest were some of the ways we're trying to detract burglars? 
Well, there are a number of things that we can do, Tim. I mean, I think, you know, it's essential for all of us that we protect our castles accordingly. And the problem is, is that burglaries are certainly on the rise. It's uh, an issue that we all potentially face. And if we haven't had that experience already, it's a horrible violation of our own space and our, our sanctuary, if you like. So a lot of the things that we can do don't have to be that sophisticated, but really ought to these days utilize modern technology as well as just some good practical common sense. So what are some of the things we can do to minimise the risk of being a victim? Well, there is a sort of a five-point plan that uh, much of the sort of advice that's given in our sector to clients is usually adhered to, and that is deter, detect, delay, deny and defend. And one of the things that I always say to people is that you've got to consider your house to be no different to, say, a shop. So, for example, if you wanted to go and buy a phone or a computer or a PS5, for that matter, Tim, you would only get it from a shop that you believed actually sold it and you could see it on display. So one of the things I always advise people with their homes is to just be really cautious that if a criminal is able to walk up to the, the front of their house and maybe even look in through the windows, take things off display because then you immediately reduce that initial temptation by the individual thinking there is something of value that's worth stealing. And the thing that we have to remember about criminals is they're always going to be looking for what we call the path of least resistance, the easiest, easiest way that they can potentially steal from you. So if we're minimising the risk of being broken into, do security gadgets really help here? Yeah, they do, because where they can be very, very helpful is either on an evidential level, if you can get a clear video footage or imagery of the individual or individuals that are breaking into your house, or provide, or and I should say, provides intelligence to local law enforcement, to local police, as to individuals that could be operating in the area that they may have already seen, may already have witnessed uh, witnesses giving information about that can help them secure an arrest and even subsequently, hopefully, a prosecution. So having good cameras is also a very good thing, but also having good alarms. And if you are going to have cameras and you are going to have alarms, then it's very important to also advertise it. The more you advertise that you have security, again, the criminal is less likely to potentially target you and more likely target the house or the property that doesn't have them. When it comes to alarms these days, we often hear them going off and do little about them. Have we become a bit desensitised to them, do you think? It's a really, really good point. I mean, yes, how how often do we hear a car alarm going off in the street outside our property and we actually go to the window to investigate and see what's going on, unless, of course, it's our own car alarm that's activated. So, you know, over time, I think we've become a great deal more insular. We don't interact and uh, and and speak with our neighbours maybe as much as we used to. And one of the things that is going to be very beneficial for you on so many different levels is perhaps to get to know your neighbours. And hopefully your neighbours are nice people because whatever they can do for you, you can reciprocate for them. And there is a couple of very good examples of this. You know, many of us are ordering a lot of products online and these will be delivered at various times of day and night. And when the Amazon guy turns up or whoever and delivers to our front door, there is always that risk if it hasn't been put in a secured area that it could be picked up by someone passing by who sees opportunity and steals it. 
Again, you can do that for your neighbours if they're if they're out and and you're in. And equally, when you go away, or they go away for that matter. So if you've got some you know excessive post or packages that are posted through your door that then block up your letterbox, there's every good chance that other letters that are subsequently delivered by the postie or by other couriers will just simply mount up on your doorstep, which is a, a clear and uh, indicative signal to any would-be burglar that your house is vacant. You've mentioned some useful tips there. Is there anywhere people can go to find out more about how to secure their homes or some of the devices that are available? Well, yes. I mean, uh, one of the things that that, uh, certainly I've seen is there's a lot of technology that is out there, a lot of home technology that's been out in the market for the last few years. Some of it's been good, some of it's been bad. But much of it has been reliant very much on the individual then uh, having an app, And when an alarm triggers, they'll have a look and see what's going on. But beyond that point, it's up to them to then call the police uh, if they do believe or they do witness someone breaking into their property. The benefit of certainly the EE and VeriSure tie-up and EE's new home safety security products is not only that it has uh, very, very good alarms and very good sensors, and they have packages for both homes and also for, you know, for sort of houses, pardon me, but also apartments, Uh, But they also have a a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week monitoring centre. Now, that you would usually only get with old-school physical security installations that you'd get from an alarm installer. This, on a home level, makes it much more accessible, but also provides that triage in the event that if someone does break in, you get alerted. The monitoring centre can call you, verify with you whether it's a cat, it's a dog, it's a squirrel, or it's someone breaking into your property. And if it is that last one, they can contact the police and as a legitimate and recognised uh, a group, then the police can obviously act off the back of that and attend your property. Um, the other thing I particularly like about this offering is the fact that, you know, you probably have had this experience yourself, Tim. You buy something off the internet, you get it home, you unbox it, and you start trying to put it together. And sometimes that can be somewhat of a challenge. <laughs> the EE service actually provides someone that will install it for you and also advise as to where the best place is to put those cameras. So, you know, it's pretty much a complete, complete solution. Fantastic. Will, any final tips you'd like to leave us with? The only thing I would add to that is, you know, just make sure you've got good exterior lighting. You know, it's that time of the year. The months are closing in. The clocks are going back this weekend. You know, if you're coming home after after dark, then it's always nice to have good lighting around your property. And, you know, going back to that neighbourly point, get to know your neighbours. You know, that whole community neighbourhood watch thing, it does work and certainly gives you the heads up or gives someone else the heads up if there's anyone suspicious looking at any of your properties uh, that they can notify the police and hopefully the police will respond. Fantastic. Will, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your advice today. My pleasure, Tim. Thank you. For more information on the EE security product that Will mentioned, visit ee.co.uk forward slash security. That's ee.co.uk forward slash security. For general advice, visit sussex.police.uk, that's sussex.police.uk, and search for crime prevention. We'll post links to both on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. A new community hub has started in Dormansland, offering a calm and warm environment for anyone to sit, work, read or relax. To tell us more, I'm delighted to be joined by David and Mary McLaughlin, the joint pastors from Dormansland Baptist Church. Welcome to the show, both of you. 
Where did the idea for the Community Hub first come from? Well, it started um, back at the end of August when, as a church, we had a Sunday service and we were encouraged to think how could we be generous to um, to others. And we were encouraged to think about how as a church we could do that as well as as individuals. And lots of us wrote down various things. And that was collated by the couple who had led the service. And one of the main themes that came out of that, particularly thinking of the financial crisis that many of us are facing, was hospitality. And so we went away and began to think about how as a church we could respond to the financial crisis that people everywhere are facing. And so then we met up with Nigel and Ros Hinton from St John the Evangelist up the road in Dormansland, and we came up with the idea of the Dormansland Community Hub. Yeah, what we were trying to do was to build on things that we were already doing. So uh, we'd already earlier in the year set up a, um, a a monthly community brunch so that people could come together and, and have a, a meal together. Um, so we were thinking, could we use that? And also at St. John's, they, they had a, a twice monthly gathering on a, on a Tuesday. So we, we really took those two things and said, well, what if we have one hub that is a community hub, but it happens to meet in two places? So we we would have our we would have it at uh, at the Baptist Church on a Friday, and uh, St John's would have it at theirs on a Tuesday. So it'd be one thing, one community thing, where people would have a warm place with a warm welcome, um, but that happened to meet in two venues. And who knows, there might be other venues that we can add uh, later on. Excellent. So describe to us what the community hub is all about. Well, it, it's warm to start with. People come in and it's it's warm. There's a very warm, smiley welcome. And there are tables set out. Some of them have got extension leads so people could sit and put a laptop um, and do work. Uh, we've got games that we put out for adults. Um, there's some games that we're intending to put out for children. We haven't had any children as yet. We've got comfy sofas and lower tables that people can sit and have a, a more comfortable seat and uh, relax and chat to friends. And we're also trying to encourage people to bring crocheting or knitting. Um, so we're not providing a huge amount, but we're also providing warm drinks and we're providing hot soup and cakes and filled rolls. Just a simple menu if people want to eat um, when they join us. Yeah. And bottomless tea and coffee. Um, oh, always good. Always good. And actually, uh, we've just had, which Nigel uh, picked up, recently a couple of laptops which we will have mm. installed at, at both places uh, to it to St John's to it at the Baptist Church if people want to get onto the internet but don't don't have their own um, device that they can bring that those are provided by Surrey so have to give Surrey credit mm. um, for providing those really useful now you've only been running this for a few weeks how's it been going so far well, we had a good response the first week. Uh, the second week, sadly, I wasn't able to go because I had COVID. Um, but we had about eight people the first week. And there were a variety of different people from the community. Some of the people that came were people who will be running it in the future. And they just wanted to get a sort of understanding of what sort of vibe we were trying to create. Um, St John's, I think they had about three or four the first week. Yes. It's not really been very cold so far. And I, I think, obviously, these things take a little while to get traction 
We've given out over a thousand leaflets in Dorman's Land to all the residents, all the households, I think, have been given mm. a leaflet and they've been given out at the school as well. So I suspect it will take maybe three or four weeks to get some traction. But we've had a very, very positive response on things that have gone out on Facebook. And um, I'm not sure if we've put anything on Instagram yet. No, but it, it, uh, the, yeah, the response on social media and the response anecdotally around the village has been extremely positive. And as Mary says, it's been very mild. But once we get into the hard winter and people find themselves sitting at, at home, not wanting to heat the whole house to be in one room on their own, um, then I think that's when these things will come into their own. And I think it's really good that we've got it up and running now. Um, so people are beginning to talk about it, hear about it and come along. Um, we also have dog, dogs that are welcome as well. So we have water out for dogs if they come. I guess it's quite a good opportunity for people who maybe are sat at home alone all day and want just a bit of company for a few hours. Or somebody who was working at home on their own. I don't know about you if you ever work at home, but sometimes I just think it'd be nice to go out and have a different space and yes. environment to look at and drink coffee somewhere else um, and, yeah, maybe have a chat with someone else. Now, you were talking about some of the people who've been so far are hoping to go on and help run the hub. Are you hoping then that this is going to become a permanent fixture in the village? Well, certainly through the winter. Uh, I think sort of come the spring we'll be sort of taking stock and seeing you know, what the response has been like and, and what we feel is right to go forward. I think that's right. It, it's, it's, it's about responding to the needs that are, that are there. And so through the winter, the need is going to be, I think, for a, a warm and uh, hospitable place. Um, the, the needs by spring may have changed a bit. Um, I don't think the needs will have stopped, but we, we want to be nimble and responsive. Um, and also, it, it, it is a community thing. It, it is something for the whole of the community. Um, so we're doing it as the church, as part of living out our faith. But we want lots of people in the community to be involved, both in running and in shaping what it becomes in the future. And are you still actively looking for volunteers to help with any of that? Well, I think we're always looking for other people who can come along and help. Um, so if anybody does want to volunteer, they can get in touch with us through our websites and we can obviously meet up with them and find out if that's the right thing for them and for us and it would work for them and us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we've already got quite uh, quite a few people from different sort of parts of the village involved, but uh, as Mary says, um, always willing to hear from people that, that want to, to help out with that sort of thing. Fantastic. Okay, give us all the details then. Where and when does the Community Hub run? Okay, it, uh, it runs from nine till three. On Tuesdays, it's at the St. John's Centenary Rooms. And on Fridays, it's at the Dormsland Baptist Church Hall. Do people need to book a slot or can they just turn up as and when? Uh, as and when they want to, they can just turn up. So if they want to turn up at nine, then they'll be welcomed at nine. If they want to uh, turn up at, at one and have some lunch, then that's they're very welcome to, to come then. And, and they can have their lunch at any time. Yes. And how can people get in touch with you either to find out more or to offer their services? I think on our website, we've got our, our email, uh, a Baptist minister's email address. And I think you can get in touch with Nigel on, on the St. John's Church website as well. Yeah. 
Fantastic. We'll give out all those details in just a moment. David, Mary, thank you so much for your time today and all the best with the Community Hub. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. To contact either of the churches in Dormansland, the details are on their respective websites, dormanslandbaptistchurch.org, that's dormanslandbaptistchurch.org, and stjohnsdormansland.org, that's stjohnsdormansland.org. The Community Hub takes place from 9am until 3pm on Tuesdays at St John's Centenary Rooms and on Fridays at the Baptist Church Hall. Tea, coffee, cake and light lunches are available and there's free Wi-Fi. We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. With half of UK adults still to make a will, Norman Wong spoke to James Winfield this week from Lewis and Dick's solicitors about the importance of making a will to ensure our wishes after death are carried out and protect those nearest and dearest to us. Most of the, of the uh, population do have asset, and if you don't have a will, it will pass under the, the laws if you don't have a will in place. So uh, potentially uh, your assets will go to other people that you don't actually want to have your money. What typical issues can arise then when someone passes away and they have not left the will? Probably one of the main ones is married couples assume that everything will pass to the survivor uh, on their death. But actually under the the rules, if you don't have a will, that's not necessarily the case. Not everything will go to the survivor of a married couple. So uh, that's one misconception that's uh, yeah, often fallen into. The other issue is people that aren't married, uh, your estate isn't going to pass to the surviving partner necessarily. So you, you actually do need to have a will to make sure that yeah, your partner gets your assets on your death, which uh, a lot of people, whether they forget or just bury their head in the sand, I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's another issue that can occur. I mean, just generally, your estate can go to people that you you don't want it to go to. Maybe it's a, a child that you haven't spoken to for 20 years. That they could end up getting your estate and you actually don't want them to. And that, that kind of thing. That's the main uh, the issues of not having a will is that un, unintended consequences, really. When we think about what's included in a will, we, you know, we think about it, it's just about money or, or your house, if you're a house owner. Does it include any non-financial assets? I'm thinking about now children are under a specific age. I'm not sure what the, the age is. Is it 16, 18, 21? You know, who's going to be the guardian for those children? A child under someone under the age of 18. So it's a great place to put those wishes in a will in terms of yeah, guardianship, who's going to look after your children, and also things like cremation or burial, funeral wishes, that kind of thing. It's, it's another good place to put that in your will. They, they are only wishes, though. They're not legally binding. So, for example, you could put in your will, I, I want to be my ashes to be put on a rocket and sent out into space. Fine to put it in the will, but it's only a wish. It's not legally binding on your executors to do that, because obviously it would cost a lot, a lot of money. And in terms of the children... Again, it's only a wish because the person that you have chosen uh, as a person to be a guardian of your children could be a great person to have chosen at the date of your will, but by the date of your death, they could be like completely inappropriate and actually they're not the right person to look after your children at the date of your death. So it is only a wish. The social services and the courts will decide who actually becomes a guardian, but they do put a big weight on what the wishes were in the person's will. 
Yeah, yeah, well, you raise a point there that about the importance of keeping the will up to date. You you may make it a specific date and time in your life, but you need to uh, revisit that will, I, I'm assuming. Uh, I'm yeah, I say to all our clients that they, they need to keep it under regular review. They're life-changing uh, situations. Um, uh, if, you, if you win the national lottery or you uh, change job or you retire or there's a, a death in the family, all of those situations, it, you, you should review your will at the same time. But if you, if you go back to the guardian uh, scenario, you could make somebody your best friend as the guardian for your children, but then, of course, those children may have grandparents. So can that cause conflict by, you know, naming a guardian who may be not the next of kin? Is that, is that a, an issue or a, something that really needs a lot of thought before naming a guardian? It's not an issue at all, really, and because it is not legally binding. It is just setting out what your wishes are. So the courts will look at, the facts at the time of death, and not the not the facts at the time of the will. Uh, if the if the children are teenagers, they actually will probably ask the teenagers, "Where do you want to go?" And and that probably outweigh what a, a will says because yeah, they, they obviously have a bit more of a, an idea of where they want to actually stay and who they want to be looked after by. It is just one of a number of facts that a court will look at at the time. Uh, so if if you put someone as a guardian in your will. It is literally just saying to a court in the future, it's an issue, it's saying this is what their wishes were, um, and, and that's pretty much it. Uh, so it is important because it's going to be evidence used by a court, but it's not um, the be-all and end-all. And uh, when we talk about wills, I've, I've heard the term probate, and, and I'm sure we could spend a long time talking about what is probate. Could, but could you briefly summarise what is probate? So in your will, uh, you appoint executors to deal with your affairs once you've passed away. So probate is the process of an executor going to the probate registry and saying, this is the last will, it's appointing me as an executor, please give me a grant of probate, which is an official document saying that I've got the legal authority to deal with the affairs of this, this deceased person. Once you've got the grant of probate, that's a legal authority, and then you can start selling property, the closing bank account, yeah, all the rest of it. And it, it's basically the legal authority to deal with someone's estate uh, after their death. And then the other thing that crops up in, in when we hear about wills is the threshold about inheritance tax. What is the threshold when that becomes payable? And what typically is the amount of inheritance tax your estate can be a charge? So it, it depends, really. So every individual has a tax threshold uh, of £325,000. Uh, so if they die and their estate is below that, there's no tax to pay. Married couples, if you're leaving everything to a spouse, there's no tax to pay. Uh, if you're leaving it, everything to a charity, there's no tax to pay. For married couples, you leave everything to each other on the first death. On the death of the, the survivor, uh, you can apply for the unused tax threshold on the first death. So that then doubles it up from three to five to six fifty thousand. So that's a, the tax threshold there. If you if the estate of the survivor is below six hundred fifty thousand, then there's no tax to pay. There's also uh, just to make it even more complicated, uh, there's something called a residence nil rate band, which is when you give your your residence to children or grandchildren. Um, and if you if you do that, then you've got an additional tax threshold of £175,000. So if a, a person yeah, leaves their entire estate, uh, including a residence, to their children, 
then they've got a tax threshold of 325,000 plus the 175,000 pounds, which takes you up to 500,000 pounds. And then the, to make it even more complicated, you've got, you can use the unused tax threshold if you're a married couple and you left everything to the surviving spouse on the first death. You can use the unused residence nil rate band on the second death which then takes you up to a million pounds. Fairly complicated, but it does depend. If you're not married and you don't have any children, then it's £325,000. And then if you're married, it can be up to a million pounds. It's a short answer. I hadn't realised all those different numbers and thresholds. And and I suppose with the average house price on the south of the UK, over 300000 the importance of a will is greatly emphasised by given those numbers that you've just said. Uh, yeah, uh, and certainly in the southeast, there's actually a lot more millionaires than people uh, realise yeah, yeah. uh, in the southeast. I've seen a lot of products for sale that allows you to make your own will. So, but what are the benefits of utilising a solicitor to make your will? I mean, you can just get a, a will writing pack from a supermarket and and just do it yourself, or you can go to a will writing company. But the benefit of a solicitor is uh, obviously we're professionally trained. We've specialised in it for. Years we've got to do continued training as well, so we're up to date with all the laws, which you can't guarantee uh, if you go elsewhere or do it yourself. Probably the main reason, but the last reason I would say is if we get it wrong, we're insured by professional indemnity insurance, so actually you can sue us if we get it wrong. So that that's a benefit. You don't necessarily get that if you do it well. You don't get it at all if you do it yourself, and if you go with a will writer, there's no guarantee that writing company will even exist so you kind of get the benefit of if we don't get it right there's some comeback you've made it clear that there are benefits of utilizing a list of when you're making your will now in november or every november participating solicitors volunteer their time to participate in, in something called will aid what actually is will aid and how can people participate and make a will during will aid so will aid is an event that happens every November, as you said, um, and it's it's on behalf of a number of charities. I believe it's nine charities. So they're, they're acting on behalf of all of those charities. And then the way to get involved would be to go on the WillAid website and willaid.org.uk and you type in your postcode and you can then uh, find out the solicitors involved and you can then contact them directly and they will be in touch with you to organize the will writing. And it, it's basically the solicitors are all doing it voluntarily. They're waiving their fees for will aid and you can make a suggested donation to will aid rather than paying their fees. So uh, the solicitors are doing it for charity and the clients are getting a will, but also giving money to charity as well. So it's a, it's a great scheme. And it sounds absolutely fantastic scheme. So given that half of the UK adults still haven't written a will, here's your opportunity in the month of November to go to a solicitor who's participating in the in this event, get a will and make a donation to charity. So it sounds like a win-win all round. It does. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the charities involved with Will Aid, are, yeah, they're great charities as well. So yeah, as you say, win-win. Well, James, thank you for your time today. It's been very interesting. I've, I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners have. Our, our advice is to consider making a will if you haven't already done so, or if you did it many years ago, consider updating it, and visit the willaid.org.uk website and find out more about Will Aid.
in the, the month of November. So thanks again, yeah. James, for your time. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for having me. James Winfield from Lewis and Dick Solicitors talking there to Norman Wong. And if you'd like to find out more about WillAid and the solicitors in our area that are taking part, visit willaid.org.uk. That's willaid.org.uk. We'll post the link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Earlier this week, Paul Tolmy spoke to Colin Hill about the Computers for Kids organisation based in Haywards Heath. Uh, yeah, we're a um, non-profit organisation. I founded it on the 19th of January 2021 um, during the last lockdown. Um, kind of funny how it started because it wasn't planned or anything. I had a partner at the time who was moaning about two computers I'd sat sitting around taking up space and she was telling me to take them down tip. And I didn't really want to, but I realised actually kids locally were, were struggling. So I just popped them on Facebook um, and urged other people just to offer theirs to other people. And next morning I about 500 people requesting the two devices and about 100 people offering me dares to give away and introducing all these people individually is just going to take too long and then uh decided actually i could probably manage it um about a week later i had a team put together of um, tech experts and we just started collecting unwanted devices that people had in their drawers um and more recently um companies have come aboard and they've started donating their old tech which we then wipe to ensure no data can be recovered. Um, if it can't be wiped, we'll destroy the drives and replace the drives, uh, do any general repairs. And then we you have to completely remove all the data from it entirely. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's completely, That's very important. Obviously, GDPR for one. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we don't want anybody's data being leaked anywhere. No, and of course not. A lot of people make the mistake of, obviously, if they want to give away their computer, they'll do a factory reset, a Windows reset. Um, and actually the data on that's really recoverable. <laughs> Any 16-year-old can log online, get free software that they can then actually just recover that old data. Um, so you have to make sure that can't happen. We've so far, since we formed, helped around 3,000 children, primarily in the Sussex area, but we have helped children in Hampshire and Kent. Um, it's done either directly to individuals. Uh, we work with a, around 70 different schools as well. Um, we also supply schools themselves if they haven't got funding with computers. Um, mm. We've done a couple down in Chichester, actually, not too long back, um, that needed um, their IT suites sorted, but they didn't just have the funding from government. Um, so we provided them with enough computers to fill out their schools, um, which helps with the school funding issue, but also alleviates some of the funds in the school that can be used elsewhere f- to help people yeah. in the school. Um, and then we started getting requests from... Doctors, um, social services for older people. Mm. Um, and then we looked at it and it's like, actually, there are a lot of older people that are suffering mental from mental illnesses or isolation. Um, and then we formed a partnership with BT um, to provide us with Wi-Fi codes that we can give to families that are struggling um, with connectivity. Um, so things like not being able to afford the internet, um, just bad connectivity or too slow in their area. Um so long as they're within a BT hub, which covers about 72% of the UK, we can provide them with a Wi-Fi code, um, which will work on up to three devices and give them free internet for six months. It's not so much more of a luxury when it used to be. It's more, you've got to be online now. You do. It's, it's essential now. Um, you think about it, um, most of our socialisation these days isn't done face-to-face. It is done primarily online, especially by the younger generation. Um, you want to make a doctor's appointment it's mostly online if you're looking for a job um, applications are nine times out of ten online people don't actually give you out a, a uh, forms anymore 
Um, a lot of school work is now all done online, especially with homework. Some schools are actually switched to paperless. And it's just getting more and more um, digitized. Um, and the unfortunate thing is with computers, they are still they have still got the premium price tag that a lot of people just cannot afford. No. When you really think about it, we've all got kind of an obligation to try and help each other, um, especially under the current circumstances. Things are getting more difficult for people, cost of living crisis, going through the pandemic. Because um, we did initially just plan to stop at the end of the lockdowns. But then the schools turn around and says, no, we really need your help. This has been an issue since beforehand. You've actually found a way to actually alleviate the issue in this area. And I thought about it and I was thinking, actually, we can keep this going. And then it has so many beneficial impacts. Um, Helps with equality, helps with education, um, but also environmentally it has a massively good impact. Um, Mm. In the last year alone, I think we've saved an estimated 200 million kilograms of CO2. And uh, around 2,000 tonnes of waste going into landfill as well. Um, and that is just through companies and individuals choosing to donate their old devices to us so we can get them prepared and pass them on free to people that actually need them. I think it's just a sensible way of going forward with it, mm. um, especially for businesses. Obviously, businesses, they have got targets to go to, to get to net zero. And a lot of businesses, they will resell their products into another business, um, which is good for the environment, but doesn't have a good social impact. Hmm. Whereas if you actually donate it to community interest companies like ourselves, other non-profits or charities that are actually trying to help with the digital divide, then you have actually got a really good social impact there and you're not really selling them back into other companies. So, you keep it, so you're allowing the IT industry to keep turning, but at the same time you're helping create equality in your area and you're supporting the local individuals that have helped support your company to get to where it is. Um, so I think it's really important to get that kind of message through to companies. So take us on the journey then. So somebody says, right, here's my device that's been in the drawer for the last three years gathering dust. Yeah. Here it is. Take it and do what you will with it. Yeah. What happens to it? What happens? At first, we'd come into our office. We'd have a look at it. Um, we'd see if, if it needs any, any repairs. First and foremost is the any broken case and mm. any loose wires, anything that could pose a danger or risk. And then assess whether it can be repaired. If it can't be repaired, it will just be stripped for parts um, and the hard drive destroyed. Um, if the hard drive can be wiped, we'll, we'll wipe it. If not, then, yeah, again, it will be destroyed. Now, if it is one that can be used um, or just needs slight, slight repairs, we'll repair it. We'll wipe, wipe the device completely clean. Um, we'll then install a new operating system onto the system, any updates. And then we would um, provide that through through our network to an individual that needs it, whether that be through a school, through social services, uh, through council or other outreach teams, or directly from ourselves. And then any kind of um, waste that can't be used. Um, we have got um, partnerships with individuals and companies that will then actually recycle that waste um, rather than going to landfill. Because um, so we find it's very important just to make sure nothing goes to landfill. Mm. Um, you, you guys, are, as I said, are based down in Hayward Heath. Yeah. Yeah, people don't have to bring their device all the way down down to you from, no, from no, wherever no. they are. You've got collection points across the across we, the area. We do, we do. Um, we've got volunteers. Um, we've got some in East Grinstead, um, where we are today. Yeah. Um, we've got volunteers down in Worthen, up in Red Hill. Um, so pretty much all over the county. Um, we we have a certain volunteer tier type um, for those that um, usually work from home more mm. than anything. Um, and we call them drop-off points. So they're kind of individuals that sign up as a volunteer and their sole their sole job as a volunteer is literally just to have their home as an open access point. Mm. Um, so 
for instance, we've got Martin over in Burgess Hill. Um, so if someone in Burgess Hill was to say, right, okay, I've got a device that I'd like to donate, um, but they can't bring it over to our office in Haywood Safe, we'll just pop them over the address and then they'll just go drop off at address that's at time convenient between them and the drop-off point. Mm. Um, and then we then collect it from the drop-off point and bring it up to our office or the individual will drop it to us. Mm. So, so no, so no device will be sort of turned away. You'll, you'll, no. you'll, you'll find a way to, you'll, if you if you can use it, then great. If not, it'll be disposed of. Yeah, so, in an environment in a, yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, no, that's great. People don't necessarily have to be sort of technically savvy to be part of your team. They can, you need no. volunteer drivers as well. We do, yeah. Um, actually, volunteer drivers are really essential for us. Um, they're the people that will actually collect from our drop-off points, bring them to our office in Hayward Teeth. Um, or take them to one of the engineers' houses and then they deliver out to, to families and, more importantly, to schools. Mm. Um, so without those, we, it does make things very difficult. I remember when I first started, because unfortunately I don't drive, um, I was going around myself with loads of computers, <laughs> and they, they, they weigh a ton. Um, so I was spending days literally travelling all over Sussex by train, bus, taxi, just delivering computers to individuals. At your own expense? Yeah, yeah, and um, the whole company is at my expense yeah. at the moment. Mm. Um, but I see it as an investment into the future of our our, our communities, local mm. community, and also an investment into into our children. Yeah. Um, as a father myself, I think if you put that investment in in the next generation, it's going to pay dividends. Mm. Um, I think it's really important to leave leave something that actually inspires others and um, gets others to follow a um, an example. Um, so the investment's good. Yeah. So if anyone's out there listening and they've got a device and they don't know what to do with it, it's been in the drawer for however long, mm-hmm. uh, they just go onto your website, they can find all the info on there okay, of where to where to send it to or drop it off. Or... Yeah. yeah, that's it. If, uh, if they go onto the website, you've got a donation form they can fill in. Um, it's a very short one. We don't, we don't do too much red tape in a way and, and too, too many long forms. Um, so for individuals that just fill it in just basically how many computers is it where are you based um, and contact details and then one of us would contact you and then we'd either advise you at the closest drop-off point or we'd arrange someone to come collect it for businesses it's a bit different um, if they email or call me directly which they can find details on the, on the website um, then then we'd, we'd work something out individually with businesses because usually they are much much larger um donations so with first central funnily enough um the big insurance firm up in their base in hotel funnily enough their head office hmm. uh about six months ago they upgraded a load of their it equipment they donated about 90 devices to us which is really really beneficial and um, they've all been given out so that, that has helped 90, 90 children and other individuals um within the county and just to be clear so when you say devices that includes tablets yeah, um, devices. Um, it's anything that can connect to the internet, really. Yeah. Um, so desktops, laptops, um, tablets, iPads, even mobile phones. Mm. Um, they've always got use. Yeah. Um, uh, mobile phones and stuff like that. We tend to reserve more for kids that are in sixth form or going to college. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or for very young children. Um, so maybe not quite old enough for a laptop. Uh, but can do like basic stuff on on, yeah. on a mobile, and we tend to give those uh, them those along with a basic laptop. Colin Hill talking to Paul Tolmy there about computers for kids. 
If you've got any devices you'd like to donate or would like to find out more about volunteering, their website address is computersforkids.org.uk. That's computersforkids.org.uk. We'll post the link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. This week, Samantha Day spoke to Katie Markham about her upcoming Someone Like You Adele tribute show coming to the Hawth in Crawley next month. It's been so nice to be back in the theatres. Just the audiences have just been so incredible. Uh, it's like it's like nobody's ever been out. It's great. <laughs> With being Adele as well, um, you know, it's... It, Everybody seems to have just taken to it and singing along with me. And I mean, obviously, my show is a bit of an emotional roller coaster anyway, with it being Adele. But but yeah, it's just been amazing, amazing response from the audience. And yeah, it's been incredible. It's been great to be back. Can we just go back over a bit of your history? So when did you start singing and dancing? Oh, gosh, now you're asking. I think I was probably about three, maybe two or three. Oh, really? Um, I, I was mainly a dancer rather than a singer. I don't think I took singing up until I was probably about nine years old in a dance school when I did a song and dance. <laughs> I can't even remember what song it was. But yeah, no, I, I didn't sing uh, properly, really, full-time until probably 2007 oh, um, when I actually became a full-time singer. Mm. Yeah, up until then, I I mean, I just did bits and bobs of everything, really. I wasn't, I wasn't really focused as much as I probably should have been on my singing. I think it was more confidence-wise than anything else. But yeah, I mean... Did little bits and bobs up until then and then decided to take it on full time after I um, won a trip to Las Vegas doing a talent competition. Oh. <laughs> so, so I thought, right, OK, yeah, best, uh, best maybe do something that I actually enjoy and get paid for it. And, you know, and it's sort of gone from there. And um, obviously with the demand of the work that I've got now, I mean, I'm we perform near enough four times a week with it being probably about 27 songs in the show it's quite a quite a big thing for me (laughs) I'm not used to it now after six years of uh, of performing and 10 years now of of actually performing as Adele um, which is insane training wise no I'm not actually trained I'm more self-taught if I'm honest only recently that I've learned how to you know to sing properly and sort of use my diaphragm a bit more and just strengthen you know strengthen the voice up yeah I've been quite lucky you went into talent contests. Did you do quite a lot of those? Did quite a few, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, my career sort of started in the pubs and clubs, so um, I, it's it's been more of a progression really for me doing the karaoke, and then I found a couple of competitions that I, that I entered with a couple of entertainment agencies, and you know, won won some money from winning the show, from winning it, um, set myself up with my own equipment, and basically didn't really do anything just sang at home and then like I said in 2007 I took it on full time and I've not really looked back since. <laughs> is it easy for you to sing? Now it is yeah I find I find it quite quite therapeutic singing it's it's yeah it's something that obviously I always do that I've always done but didn't realise you know that I could do this in the theatres and on, on a big stage as I am doing now. Mm. Um, obviously I did all the X Factor and all that sort of thing as well in 2013 and then obviously met Adele and did all that stuff so yeah I mean it's it's carried me I mean obviously my voice has developed a lot a lot more since since I've you know started singing a lot more I I would say probably the X Factor actually gave me more of a confidence boost that the fact that I didn't get through and all you know thousands of people that, that had got well, I mean, I got to, I got to boot camp. I got to the end of boot camp and actually got the chair, one of the chairs that, uh, and I just literally just missed out on Sharon Osborne's house. 
So mm. for me, leaving there, it gave me a lot more confidence because the, there were so many incredible people that got sent home. So for me, yeah, it gave me that confidence boost. And then on that side of it, obviously, my singing... I thought, actually, no, I'm just going to just gonna enjoy it now and just do what I need to do and enjoy it. And I have done ever since, really. I've not put that pressure on myself anymore to, to be this, you know, to be a certain way and be a certain person. I mean, obviously, I perform as Adele. And I tend to sing the show as I would sing it myself. Thankfully, I have a little bit of, of the way that she moves. And, you know, I've obviously studied her quite a lot because I'm a massive fan of Adele. So the, the 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 movement and everything else like that, my voice has sort of fallen into how she would sing, but it still has my little side of it as well. So I, it's still still a bit of me as well at the same time. You must have studied a lot of her videos to how she walks, talks, you know, mannerisms. It's not been really a really a chore for me, you know. I've just, I've just I've just enjoyed watching. I love all of her live performances as well. How how her voice is, and I'm just really intrigued how she shapes her words and stuff. It, I mean, she's obviously vocally she's changed as her albums have, have progressed and as, as she's got older. But she used to say love love instead of love and stuff like that. <laughs> just like just following like the voice and where where she's come from as well, and and who she's studied as as well as herself. You know, like Etta James was one of her influences, and like for me, it's interesting to find the backstory of all that, in, in, you know, as well. But I love her live performances. I, I, I've, yeah, I've just watched her, and as soon as I get the nails on and the hair, the hair's done, and the outfit, that me, I'm, I'm in that little character. Uh-uh. Yeah. Now, did did you get to sing with Adele when you were chosen as one of eight for the Adele Love at the BBC? So yes, we did. Yeah, so it was like live at the BBC. With, it was with Graham Norton as well in 2015. I can't believe it was so long ago now. But yeah, no. Um, obviously, I was the first girl that went out to perform as Adele. We had no idea what was going on. We got told it was a pilot show. It might not be aired. You know, it's just a celebration of the artist that you portray, which obviously for me was Adele. It's a series, so you know, like I say, it might not be aired. And just come along and sing, sing a song. Uh, have a bit of an interview. I mean, they have me walking over speed bumps with my suitcase and all sorts. <laughs> Knowing now that Adele was sat there telling them and directing them to do that was is hilarious. Yeah. And, I mean, she was watching all of our auditions. <laughs> they put me out because I was the most suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, off the back of the X Factor, I was I was very aware of obviously the editing side of it and all that mm. that sort of thing. And because, because I was portraying Adele and also myself, I wanted to be able to be respectful be put in a in the light that I didn't really want to be put in mm. but thankfully they were brilliant they were really really good I enjoyed every minute of it basically so yeah I went out first and then obviously the rest of the rest of the girls came out oh and the guys and then the last one was obviously Jenny <laughs> who turned out to be the actual Adele and I was very aware that the situation that I was in so I don't know why but I, I, I realized that it was only eight of us because all the cameras were behind me. And then all of a sudden, as soon as they announced Jenny, all these cameras were smack bang in front of us. And I was like, oh my God, okay, Adele's here. <laughs> so that's why I'm not on camera as much because I'd already sussed it out. I was just like freaking out in the corner. I was like, oh my God. And like, I'm the one that's telling everybody down the line, it's Adele, it's Adele. <laughs> and they're all looking at me thinking, what are you on about? So I just, I just carried on singing along with her. So was it on the back of that though, Katie, that someone like you show is that how it started off 
Yes, it was. Yeah, they they obviously spotted me on there, and they they knew a little bit about my background from my website, and you know knew that I'd sang in theatres and I'd done productions and stuff before. So they were very interested in in asking me if I would be the lead of their show. So someone like you, the Adele song book was was then you know released. Yeah, and we've not we've not stopped ever since. Basically, apart from lockdown, um, we've been going for six years now. Yeah, so I've, I've basically I've been involved for. From the get-go, really, with you know, with producing the show and helping produce the show with with the guys, you know, all the song choices that we've done and the set lists, and so I've had a bit of an input with the lighting and you know, and how the sound is and how I want it, and yeah, it's it's been it's been an it's been an experience for me as well because it's been nice to be able to be part of that to find out how you build a show as well, and obviously the scripts behind it and knowing what what to say. You know, because we obviously look at look at the background of the song rather than me presenting it as Adele. I present the show as myself, so I present it as Katie Markham, and then we tell all the background stories of some of the songs and and, and how they you know how they were released and why she chose the songs and yeah. So it's it's yeah I've, I, it's it's been it's been interesting to be able to study all that sort of side of it as well and, and produce the show and be part of you know the lead of the show. For, for the last six years, it's been amazing. Yeah, and we get to travel the world now doing it, which is incredible. We have we have 27 songs in the show. There's a bit of everything for everybody uh, in the show. Like I say, it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster for me and, and the audience. Well, I mean, gosh, we've got we've got an acoustic section. We've got we've got songs ranging all the way from 19, 21, 25, and obviously the new album now, which is, is which is 30. Mm-hmm. Um, we did at one point have eight eight of the new songs in, but we took a few out and put some of the older ones back in again because it, yeah. it's not it's not as well known. Some of the songs were not as well known as some of the other ones, which were great, you know, great songs, big hitters. So we've put some of the some of the songs from Twenty One back in, which I absolutely love because I love that album. So yeah, it's you know it's a big full show. It's more of a concert version of Adele's show rather than than a production. We basically just celebrate everything that is Adele. So you know if you're a massive fan of Adele as much as we are then come and see the show because it's great fun. On Wednesday, the 23rd of November, you're coming to the Hawth, which is really close to us. And then you you do a a, a one-off show, don't you? One and only, which is coming to Tirana in Lingfield on the 1st of December. It is, yes, yes. So that's my solo show. Um, so that's it's a bit of a mixture, actually. That that show, uh, you get to see both sides of me. <laughs> it's not all Adele. It's it's half and half. So I, I tend to do the first half as as Adele, and then obviously the second half, I do all different covers of different genres of music, just to get people up dancing. So yeah, it's a bit a bit a bit different from the theatre show. Obviously, that is a full production show with a full band, and you know we get to celebrate with the audience on that side of it and it's more of an intimate show um concert version of the Adele whereas obviously it's a little bit more relaxed my solo shows because I do a bit of different things as well and it's different songs so yeah yeah bit of a mixture Katie Markham in conversation with Samantha Day to book tickets to see Katie as Adele in the Someone Like You show visit someonelikeyou.co.uk that's someonelikeyou.co.uk or you can visit the Hawth Theatre website at parkwoodtheatres.co.uk forward slash the Hawth. That's parkwoodtheatres.co.uk forward slash the Hawth. Or you can call the box office directly on 01293 553636. That's 01293 553636. 
We'll post links to all of that on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. And that's it for the latest edition. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 or on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. I'll be back on air next Sunday morning from 10am on 107 Meridian FM or on meridianfm.com or you can download the latest podcast. Until then, take care and have a great week ahead.